Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you. Praise the Lord. If you brought your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking there in a little bit. Um, tonight, we're going to continue um, on something I started a couple of weeks ago, a, a letter from heaven to you. I don't know if you remember that message, but in it, the Holy Spirit was ministering to my heart um, a few things. I want to continue on some of the things that I spoke to you about uh, out of Jeremiah 29, but we're going to focus tonight's uh, journey in the Word with, with the Scripture in 1 Corinthians to tie things in. Um, and tonight I'm going to be talking to you uh, about a people of the cross. That's what the title of the message is, a people of the cross. And so um, if you would just look back with me, just a quick review of where we were a few weeks ago. I just want to refresh in your memory because it's, 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 uh, it's been a few weeks, but I want to bring it back to your attention. Um, when we look back at that, if you haven't heard that message, I'd suggest that you do go back and listen to it. That's the great thing about having a YouTube channel and Facebook and all of that. We're able to keep these up and, and uh, you're able to revisit the Word of God. Um, but we, talk, we started talking about Jeremiah 29. And uh, it was a letter that, that he was directed to write from the heart of God to a people that were in exile, that were taken away from a culture that was godly, a culture that was, uh, you know, that reverenced the things of God, that had a, or a semblance of the reverence uh, of the things of God, inclined to righteous living, inclined to all of those things uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and they were taken away out of their homeland and they were planted in a foreign country in a pluralistic polytheistic world and and all that simply means is that they were put in a in a world where uh, everything was accepted uh, anything anything went in your private life uh, now there were some tram lines that were laid publicly that you had to tow the the Babylonian uh, kingdom party line you know they had a god that they worshiped and that but uh, as long as you didn't publicly demonstrate your faith, publicly demonstrate uh, your culture, but, uh, you know, you could live any way you wanted to, and it was okay. And so uh, Babylon uh, was, was uh, to those people a, a very strange place, a very dark world that they were, they were taken away into in 597 when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took around 10,000 captives uh, of the best and the brightest, the best craftsmen, uh, the greatest minds, uh, the most talented. He brought them all back uh, into Babylon. And uh, Jeremiah had been prophesying for years that that was going to happen because of the idolatry, because of the things that, that, that the Jews had lost their way. They had lost their distinctives, in a sense, uh, their core values of who they were and what God had called them to be. They had lost all that. And uh, he said, look, you're going to be taken by a foreign power if you don't turn back to God. You're going to be taken into a land of confusion and darkness. And that's exactly what happens to anyone who 
casts off or, or throws away the, the, the admonitions of the Lord, the, 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 the heart of God, when we cast that off, uh, we are heading into a life of confusion. We're heading into a life uh, where anything goes and uh, nothing really matters. And so that's exactly what happened to those Jews. And uh, it was upon them when this letter was written. And while they were there in Babylon during that time, these false prophets came and they started to tell people, look, don't, don't unpack your bags. Uh, don't invest in, in staying here. You're not going to be here long. This is a U-turn. You're going to, you know, these 900 miles that you've been dragged into, dragged away from, uh, God's going to judge this wicked society and you're going to be taken back and, and uh, don't worry. You're going to be on a caravan home soon. That's what they were told. And they prophesied and told these exiles, don't invest. Don't settle down here. Don't invest your life here. Uh, and be a light, shut your light off, separate to yourselves, live in your distinctive ways, and don't invest your life here where you are. And these voices were really voices of fear. They were contrary to what God had been speaking. These voices were voices of fear. They were voices that did not know the heart of God. And they were really living in this fear of telling people, don't put down roots. Don't engage the world around you. Live lives separate so you don't wind up losing who you are. They were afraid that they were going to be assimilated. They were going to lose who they were. And there would no longer be a Jewish nation. So there was a lot of fear in these false prophets that God's people would assimilate and completely lose who they were, lose their distinctives, lose, lose out on being chosen by God and become Babylonian. And the Holy Spirit prompted Jeremiah 900 miles away and he wrote this letter and he sent it through the post to encourage and give direction to God's people living in Babylon. And so in, 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 uh, by and large, this letter wound up being ignored for the first 10 years or so. They, the, 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 uh, if you read in history, it was ignored, uh, just like most of Jeremiah's ministry was largely ignored. He's called the weeping prophet because people didn't listen to him. He wound up in prison. He wound up being abused. He wound up being rejected. Hey, this man is one of my favorite prophets. I mean, to live in that kind of opposition, remain true to God and stay focused on the word of God, it took the grace of God. It took the power and the hand of God keeping him. Uh, but in 587, when the final blow came and 40,000 Jews were taken 900 miles into captivity, the penny finally dropped that this was not just going to go away, that they were going to be there. Uh, well, Jeremiah prophesied because God had told him for 70 years. And so the penny dropped. And then Jeremiah, who died not too long after that, suddenly becomes enshrined in Jewish, the Jewish mentality as a man of God, someone that heard from God, someone that uh, they didn't want to listen to at first, but now they, they really see that this man was telling us what we didn't want to hear and what God was saying. So this letter at first became a, a, a source of discomfort. 
for those Jews. They didn't, he was telling them what they didn't want to hear. But then after the penny dropped, it became a letter of comfort. They held on to this. They said, look, God has called us here. He's told us we're not going to be here for long. So for a remnant there, they held on to Jeremiah's words and the promises that were in this letter to them. And God's direction, if you remember, was very simple. Don't separate yourself. Don't live in fear. Move into the city. Settle down. Build houses. Raise strong families. And, and he says in, in the Hebrew, seek the shalom of God, the peace of God for the city that I've called you. Imagine that. Living in that wicked city of Babylon where they want to burn everybody that stands up publicly and professes Jehovah to be the only true God who, who's so ready you know, to throw them into the fire as Nebuchadnezzar was. He says, go into that city. I don't want you to separate from it. I don't want you to hate it. I don't want you to pray God's judgment on it. I want you to pray the heart of God over that city. Wow. I want you to pray the heart of God over Babylon. I want you to pray the heart of God for God's peace there because if the city is at peace, you're going to be at peace. And this is echoed over in Romans. If you read Romans, Paul says the thing, seek the peace of where you are so that it may go well with you as well. Roman, Paul picks up on this and says, as Christians, we're to adopt this same mentality. We're to adopt this same heart for the city that God's called us to. Here in Cork City, or wherever you're watching from tonight, God's heart is for your city. Amen? God's heart is not for us to, to, to build an enclave of Christians and enjoy, uh, you know, like this is some cruise that we're just cruising through life and, and we're just to, to, to keep it all to ourselves. God says, no, I want you to live in your city. I want you to invest in your city. I want you to, to, to build strong families for Christ in your city. And I want you to be a witness in your city. I don't want you to assimilate. I don't want you to be, you know, you know, become everything that the city, the bad parts of the city that it represents. I don't want you to assimilate and I don't want you to separate. I want you to be distinctive. I want you to live a life for God wherever he's called you. And how many of you believe that there is grace for God, to, for us to live victoriously wherever we find ourselves? Amen. There is grace for us in the gospel to live in Cork City. There is grace for us to live a fruitful life right where we're called. Right here. Sometimes we're looking, well, if I was just in that place or if I was just here, no, God's saying, listen to me. My heart is to, for you to find God wherever you are, put down roots, invest yourself in the kingdom, invest yourself in the heart of God, get a career, be the best at whatever you can do for the glory of God, to bring God glory, raise strong families and pray for your city with the heart of God. What a message. We, what a message. And this is encouraging uh, for us. And this was encouraging for them. And, it, it, and, you know, this is the heart of God. This is the insight that God wants you and I to have. He wants us to have that insight because that's God's plan for you. To wherever he sends you to put down strong roots and to live a life that exemplifies being a Christian. That's what he's called you to. It's that simple. It's not rocket scientist. You don't have to be a theologian. It's that simple. Love God wherever you are. 
Live in the grace of God. Find the grace of God for your life wherever you're living and live full on for him. Right? This is what God is calling us to. And because we, in a sense, are living in a spiritual Babylon. We're living in that same culture. It's very similar. If you heard and you knew about the history of Babylon, you could overlay that into, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, amen? There's nothing new. The Bible says that. We just have got more advanced technology, uh, technologically. We've, we've had some, some breakthroughs medically. There have been some things. We put a man on the moon, but we still have the same heart that is far from God. And we're, we're not, you know, we're primarily doing the same things that we've always done. And God knows that we are living in a spiritual Babylon where anything goes. You can believe whatever you want. Live any way you want. As long as you keep your faith private, there's no place for your faith in Christ in the public square. Does that f- sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar? We are, we are being pushed into a corner. We are being constantly pushed out of the, the, the marketplace and out of the, the political sphere and out of the, the, the town squares and out of the entertainment industry. And, 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 you know, but God is saying, I don't want you to run. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm calling you there to be a light. And the temptation is stro- so strong for believers to assimilate and fade into the wallpaper. Just fade out. Just so, you know what? Well, you know, I'm just going to be like, I'll keep my faith private. And folks, God hasn't called us to have a private faith. That is not the biblical kind of faith. Because your faith, you've been brought into a kingdom and your whole life is God's. You don't have a secular life and a religious life. You don't have a private faith and a public faith. You don't have that. We're not, we are called as one being, as one person to live for God wherever we are. We don't have the luxury of having that and living in that world. Now that's the way the world wants to live and that's the way, but for us as Christians, we can't be hogtied. We can't be, you know, put into that kind of box because that's not who we are. Historically as a church, We are not called to be sidelined. We are called to live publicly for Christ, regardless of the cost, and to believe God for grace when the cost begins to get great for us, to believe God for grace to, to stand in truth. We are not called to move into a powerless Christianity that has no public witness or influence, to water down our message, to keep quiet and to play nice. That's not what you're called to do. That doesn't mean that we're not nice people or we're ugly or, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But we're not called to live like that. We are called to be witnesses of him. And and many believers have taken that route in their spiritual journey. And and they wind up uh, powerless. And they wonder why they have no power. They wonder why they have no ability to stand in the workplace or among their mates or in college or wherever because they've, they've, they've quietly, they, they, they've, they've sold, uh, they've sold out in some areas and, and they feel that, and there's compromise there. But God is saying to us, He doesn't want us to feel like we have to compromise. He will meet us in that place of tension and He will empower us to be witnesses for Him. We are called to have courage and to speak up, to publicly own Christ, to not be ashamed of him. That's what we're called to be. The Holy Spirit is here to give us the power 
to be his witness, to live our lives as distinctly Christian in this hour, that there's a difference. And, and those that will take this path are going to find difficulty. You know, we're going to talk in a, in a few minutes about people being triggered. You know, being triggered, uh, you know, is not something new. We're going to talk about that. There were people being triggered in, under Paul's ministry and under Jesus' ministry. It's not something new. And the gospel is going to trigger people. People are going to be triggered by your life. They don't even know why. Sometimes you don't even have to say a word. It's the life of the Holy Spirit in you. It's going to trigger the darkness in them. They don't even know why they don't even like you. They're going to make assumptions based on things they don't even understand. And they're not even going to like you. And that's part of it. But if, but if we engage, but if we engage in that and don't pull back, you're going to find God's anointing. You're going to find God's favor and you're going to find God's provision when you face these difficulties and these challenges. He says, I will be with you in the fire. I will be with you as you take a stand. I will be with you there. Now, in the next few minutes, I want to take what time we have and talk to you about one of the foundations of living a distinctive life as we are facing our Babylonian world. And I'll just use that as a term of, of reference as we've looked at Jeremiah. It's very similar. Similar As we're living in this world, in this, this Babylonian age, and it's a system, it's a way of believing. It's not because it's Iraqi. It's not because it's not limited to a time. It's not limited to a region. It is a, it is a way of life. It is a culture that wants to assimilate. It wants, wants to negate the life that is in you. So we are all facing that. What does that mean and what does that look like? First things first, I'd like for you to consider with me tonight what it, what it is that makes you and I distinct in the first place. What is it that makes you distinct? What is it that sets you apart? What is it that makes you so different? I want to say tonight unequivocally, what sets us apart is that we are a people that have been redeemed by a crucified Savior. This is it. If, if you boil everything down, if, if you just strip off everything, all of the, the, the books and everything that's in Christendom and everything that, that we like to attach our identities to, if we strip it back and we bring it down to the bare wood of it all, we are a people that are trusting in a crucified Savior. That's it. We are a people of the cross. If we boil down our DNA, if we get to the nitty gritty of who we are, we are all united by this reality that we are all brought to life by God by trusting in the message of the cross. God's redemption plan played out in the crucifixion of his son. This is it. This is why you're hated. This is why anyone is hated because we are trusting in a crucified Jew, a crucified man, a crucified, the crucified son of God. We are putting our, our spiritual well-being into his hands. Every religion has their distinctives. Every religion. And at the center of them all, there's usually some spiritual teacher 
There's some, some person that claims enlightenment or divine revelation, some, something, some sort of message or a promise that they've received from another realm, another world, or some sort of enlightenment, if it's like the Buddha or, 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 or others that have come along after him, or, you know, they, 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 they claim some sort of special revelation, and, and they offer promises of, of some form of eternal life or alleviation of human suffering uh, when you do certain things when you behave certain, a certain way. But that the center of our faith, because, and you need to hear this, because this is really where the rubber beats the road. This is really what sets us apart. At the center of our belief, there stands a cross. There stands a crucified Savior, put to death for our sins, to offer himself on our behalf to satisfy the justice of a holy God. So our distinctive living is not necessarily, we don't begin at the behavioral aspects of it. We might journey there in the future. And uh, it, it, so there is that that comes along with it. But that is, that is the overflow of being brought into a relationship with a crucified Savior. So we are not pointing to our performance as our distinctives. No. Actually, the Christian is the only one on the planet that points away from themselves to another person's achievements. So being a Christian is not how well you perform, but is really about you pointing away from yourself and saying, no, I am trusting in someone else's performance. I do not put my trust in my own performance. I do not put my trust in my own goodness because I know that my own goodness will get me nowhere. I am putting my faith in the best one, God's good one, the one that came and lived the best life that could be lived. I am putting my trust in him. These are the distinctives. It begins with pointing to the behavior of another. And when you boil down Christ's ministry, when you boil down his teaching, and there's a lot of good things that he said, there's a lot of great things, spiritual revelation and understanding and all of those things, and we garner and gain so much from reading the Beatitudes and, and reading the things and all of his parables and all of his teachings on love and how he forgave, and all of those things are wonderful. And we don't, we, we don't take away from any of it. It's all important. It's all wonderful. But when you boil down his life it comes down to this very real crux he was born to live a perfect life and to die to die on a cross and his death was the catalyst whereby God poured his wrath out on sin upon the shoulders of and in the body of his only son. This is what the life of Christ and significance of his life means. All of his teachings, because people will agree with you about his teachings. He was a good, he was enlightened. He was a spiritual teacher. He was a good teacher. You know, people will agree with that. We, under, we, we, we get that, but there is something about his life 
There's something about his death. There's something about what he did on that cross that reaches further than just his teachings, that reaches further than just his miracles. There is something of eternal value and significance that sets every person apart that puts their trust in him. Because I can tell you this, you can be illiterate, you may not understand uh, his, his parables, you may not get his teachings, but if you get that one thing, that he died on that cross for you, you've got everything. You have everything. That he is forever cleansed and washed all who will believe and we are brought into relationship with him. That God through the cross has cleared the way for us to know him, to experience real peace with God, to experience relationship with him. And this is the pinch point. This is the linchpin. This is the singular truth that really separates everybody, that separates all of us. We are a people of distinction because we are a people that have been redeemed through a bloody cross. And that blood was the blood of one that lived a perfect life. So when we first talk about what it means to live distinctive lives, we begin here. We begin where God separated us from our sin. This is our origins. That's why we sing that song. That's why we love that song. I will cling to the old rugged cross. This is why Jesus gives us the, the elements. This is why, he, that's why this Sunday, when you come in here, we're going we're gonna to partake together of the, of the elements of the broken bread and the, and the juice, the wine, together. It's a commemorative moment where we are tracing our DNA. We, we, are, we are realigning ourselves to the central theme that we are redeemed people, that we have been bought with a price, with a precious blood of a savior on a bloody cross who died a shameful death. This is who we are. This is what sets us apart. Our story of distinction isn't focused on our behavior or our morality. Because if that's what we preach, we'll have nothing to say. If you go around preaching how good you are and how great you've been, you've nothing really to add. You've nothing really to say. You've nothing really to offer. Our distinction isn't focused on our behavior. This is the difference. We have rejected our own abilities to live good enough. We have rejected our own ability to live good enough, good enough lives to make God happy and to satisfy his justice. We have embraced this message wholeheartedly. Amen? Have you embraced it tonight? Is it life to you? Is it life to us? The Jews' message was if, if, if you were to hear their message where they traced their origins, they don't really go back to Abraham. Do you know where they go to? They go to Egypt. They go to the Red Sea. They go to their redemption story. They trace their origins. They trace really who they are as a people that God brought them out by a mighty hand. That was their testimony. 
That was what kept them as distinctive people. Who are the Jews? Or there, there's some people that, that have funny dietary laws, you know, dress a certain way, have strange customs. No, they were a people that were brought out by a mighty God with a mighty hand and brought through the Red Sea. That's who they were. That was their testimony. It wasn't because they were good. It was because God was good. It was all about him. It was about God bringing them out. And they always resorted back to their deliverance. And if you read their history, every revival, everything that ever took place in their life that was so spiritually uh, you know, significant or positive, they would always go back to the redemption story. They would always go back to the Passover. You read their history. Every revival began with them commemorating Passover over again. Read it. They'd get the book of the law out, you know, in Josiah's time. They found it buried, and they started reading out of Deuteronomy, and they found out, man, we should be doing the Passover. They went back, and they began to come back to the cross, their cross, their redemption story. It's what made them distinct, and it's what gave them their, their tram lines. It's what grounded them in the world that they were living in. And folks, it's what grounds us in the world that we're living in, this timeless reality of a crucified Savior of the Son of God going to an awful cross for me personally and giving himself for me as an offering to God. And this is our first significant distinctive that we point back to as our redemption. And it's easy to lose luster over that. It's easy to get caught up in other things. But we are to keep the cross ever before us because it's all we really have. It is what we have. It is what God has given. I'm going to show you from, from Scripture that is unequivocally true. That God has given us this cross. God has given us this redemption story. God has placed it there and doesn't want us to move away from it. It's our lifeline. It's what keeps us grounded. Wherever we are. Whoever we're with. It is the place where we, cut, we point to our redemption. And it was on the cross that God made our way over, like he did for the Jews when he carried them through the, the, the Red Sea. It was on the cross. That was our Red Sea experience. That was our bringing over. It was through the death of his son. And, and when God split his son open, when God's wrath poured out on his son, he made a dry highway through the, through the waters for us to walk through. He made a way for us to be redeemed. And it's here we put all of our trust for our spiritual well-being. Your spiritual well-being is found in your trusting in the cross and believing it and holding to it, reviving it in your heart and in your mind. I rest solely in God's word to me and the message of the cross that we have been made clean in the death of God's son, that, I have, that God has severed us from our past, that he has blotted out our sin, wiped away our failure, and he's brought you and me to himself through the cross. I want to look at this a little closer as we begin to close out. As the cross is the, basic, is the basis for distinctive living. It, it only, not only defines you, 
but it empowers you. It's your beginning. It's your continuation. And it will be the things that will see you through to the end. The work of the cross. This is why it's got to be highlighted. This is why it's got to be preached still. Well, well, I've outgrown the gospel. You never outgrow the cross. You never outgrow your need for hearing it over and over again. Because the cross applies into every area of our life. And that has a power when it is preached to release the power of God in our lives. In 1 Corinthians, I want you to go there with me, One seventeen. And here in 1 Corinthians, it's here that Paul says the message of the cross is to those who are saved by it is everything. Everybody say everything. The cross is our everything. The cross is our everything. For in the message of the cross is everything we need. All spiritual life, all victory, all righteousness, all peace, all courage. It will give us the power to stand in the last days as we rely on it, as we believe in it, as we talk about it, as we boast about it, as we make our boast in the cross. It will become a strength to us. I'm going to read this to you. Now, I'm going to read 17 through 31, and then we'll, we'll begin to close out. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There's the gospel, and he's going, to, he's going to break that down in just a moment, and you'll see it in verse 18. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Man, Paul says, I won't get in the way of it and try and convince you with wisdom and, and try and woo you, lest I empty the cross of its power. And I love what he says here, and he connects it to the gospel, and this is what he calls it. For the word of the cross, the word of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. It's everything. It's everything. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made, them, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, what is that, the word of the cross, to save those who believe, for Jews demand a sign, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the very mind of God is in the cross. Do you want to know the heart of God? Look at the cross. Do you know what God's thinking? Look at the cross. Do you want to know what God's thinking about you? Look at the cross. When you want to know what God's thinking about your past, look at the cross. Look at it. It's the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. And that's what God is saying. Consider our calling here tonight. 
we are people of the cross. Hallelujah. <laughs> Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In other words, you, it became everything to us. He's become everything to us. This is what sets us apart so that it is, as it was written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. My boast is not in my ability. My boast is not in my strength. My boast is in one who was lived in Galilee, grew up in Nazarene, was baptized when he was 30, brought into the ministry, lived a perfect life, and was crucified. My boast is in him and his grace and his power. Look at the great emphasis in this as we begin to close the message of the cross. I love this. You might start hearing some messages on this. I don't know from me. The message of the cross. You can never go wrong with the cross. You can never go wrong with preaching Christ and him lifted up. You can never go wrong, Paul says. I, I, Paul lays out to the Corinthians here what makes his ministry distinct, what sets him apart. He says this, when I could have come with eloquence, I didn't. When I could have impressed you with knowledge, I chose not to. I came instead with what I, I call the word of the cross. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Paul says, this word of the cross, this message of crucifixion to me, to us collectively, is the power of God. Hallelujah. I think if we invested more in preaching on the cross, if we invested more on lifting up the Savior, and instead of in, you know, what Western, a lot of Western cultures have tried to do is water it down and trying to ease people into the kingdom, we might find that people begin to believe even quicker and come to see him even more clearly if we lift him up, if we preach him the word of the cross. In other words, it's the main event. The main thing, the number one distinctive, for in this the power of God comes. In the message of the cross, the story of the lamb, the, the, the broken, bloody, nail-pierced body of Jesus the Christ, it releases heaven's resources. Hallelujah. Not spiritual secrets, not in doing this and doing that, but preaching the unadulterated teaching on the, unadult the unadulterated cross of Christ, it releases heaven's power. It's where God stores up his power. He won't share it with anybody else, but through the vehicle of the cross. He doesn't share his glory with anyone, but to those who will believe in the cross and come and surrender to what he says in the cross, God says, I'll share my power. I'll share my resources with you. Just come to the cross. Just believe in what I've done on the cross. In this lies the key to the treasure house of heaven. Why should I say anything else, Paul says? 
You see, when everybody else, they love the eloquence of, of uh, you know, uh, there were people there that were way more eloquent. There were people there with other credentials. Paul says, why should I say anything else when I know how to unlock heaven's power? When I start lifting up the crucified Christ, when I start preaching the cross, I know heaven's going to show up. I know things are going to, deliverance is going to come. The power of God is going to be revealed. And in this proclamation, heaven invades. Heaven invades as we begin to talk about the cross, as we begin to talk about Jesus and what he did for us. The word of the cross is what draws the line between death and life, heaven and hell, bondage and freedom, spiritual sickness and wholeness. So that's where we begin. So here is where we start to look at where we are in our current Babylon. We are people of distinction because we are trusting fully in the message of the cross. We've abandoned our own hopes and our own abilities for change. We're, we're not making promises to God uh, in, in order to kind of, uh, you know, incur his power in our lives. We've abandoned all that. Simply to thy cloth I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring. That is the distinction. So this is where we begin. You are, we are, pointing to the distinctive, perfect life of another, offered on our behalf for all spiritual benefits, for all spiritual blessings, for everything in heaven to be given to us, we are pointing to that cross. We are pointing to that cross. And Paul says this, it's scandalous. He said to the Jews, he says, I like what he says, and we'll close with this because I think it's wonderful. To the Jews, he says it's a stumbling block. In the Greek, that word is scandalon. It's where we get the word scandalous. How many of you know that the cross is scandalous? God's love for sinners is scandalous. When you think that through the cross, God is going to give eternal life to people who objectively deserve eternity without him, that he is going to reward those who should be punished, that he is going to forgive those things that we cannot forgive, that he is going to pour out and give the gift of his grace and his spirit on those who are unworthy. It is scandalous. The cross is scandalous. The life of Jesus, if you look at him, it was scandalous because he went where the Pharisees wouldn't go. He forgave those that nobody wanted to forgive. He hung out with the sinners. He took grace to where people needed to have the grace. He took healing where people need to be healed. He was scandalous in his life and he was even more scandalous in his death. And the way has been opened to every sinner, to everyone who has failed, to everyone who is addicted, to everyone who is weak, to everyone who is living in guilt for all that they have done. Jesus says, you come and I'll forgive you. I'll wipe the slate clean and I'll give you a new life because of what I've done on the cross. That is the message that we preach. And it is scandalous. It is scandalous. And brothers and sisters, we need to have the heart of Paul. And I pray God would give it to us. In Romans chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven. I am not ashamed of the word of the cross. It's why you're here tonight. It's why you're alive tonight. I know it's why I'm here tonight. When God visited my family when I was 17, we were headed for a lost eternity. We were, we were broken. We were lost. We were in darkness. But Jesus showed up and revealed to my mother what he had done for her on the cross and that forgiveness washed over her and it not only washed over her but it forgave her and it filled her and it filled me too and it cleansed me and it, it started a, a, just a domino effect in my family. So I know what I'm talking about. There's power in the cross. It's why I'm here. And it's why you're here. It's where we begin this journey of, of living a distinctively Christian life. Some of us live in so much condemnation because we've not abandoned hope in ourselves. We are still clinging to this thing where I might just get it right this time. I might just be able to offer to God something that he will receive. And the best thing to do is to come and come to the cross and say, God, I abandon all hope of saving myself and I put my spiritual well-being in your hands and I ask for your power and your life to be revealed in my life. Let's stand together tonight because I want to pray. I've went about four minutes over. I want to pray tonight. God is calling us in spiritual Babylon. You are marked out. There's a mark on your life if you're a Christian and it's in the shape of a cross. Hallelujah. <laughs> We cling to it tonight. And if you think it's foolish, if you think it's silly, you don't know him. And you're still in darkness. If you think that it doesn't, if you think you don't need it, you need to ask God to show you why you need it. You need to ask God to open your eyes because in the cross there is forgiveness for any sin and every sin that you've ever done. There is life for you from the dead. It can raise you up and it can change you. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for the word of the cross. We thank you that as we live in the age of Babylon, when we live where there's confusion on every hand, everywhere we turn, people's got this message and this self-help and this new age idea and that old age idea and all of these things, it's a, it's a mishmash Hallelujah. We don't have to live confused. We can put our trust in the crucified one. We can lean heavily on that distinctive and we can experience your peace. We can experience your order in our minds where there's disorder and confusion as we believe and we put our trust in you, Lord. God, I pray in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, the coming years as things slowly slide or quickly slide into this, this pluralism and polytheism, I pray that we as your people, we as your people would become more and more the people of the cross. Sharing it, preaching it, leaning into it, praying into it, Lord, asking you, Lord, to reveal it to our city that your peace would come. We love you tonight, Lord, and we thank you for the word of the cross. 
and that we are a people of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you tonight, folks. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.